Hey, welcome to the Director's Podium. I'm your host, Adam Christie. Hey, we have a champion here with us. He has 14 consecutive conference championships, three state championships. His teams are constantly in the finals. He's a two-time, two-time Wisconsin High School Basketball Coach of the Year. You can learn more from him at teachhoops.com. Ladies and gentlemen, teaching at Madison Memorial High School in Madison, Wisconsin. Here with us is Coach Steve Collins. Coach, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad you got. I'm glad you got the notes from my mom. Those, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, nice lady. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, can you tell us a little bit about your leadership journey? When did you know you wanted to be a coach? Oh wow, that's a tough. That's a great question. Um, so I do remember in fifth grade, Mrs. Wishmeyer. Um, writing an essay of why I wanted to be a teacher for the day. Um, and I won the contest. It was like for our fifth grade class. And then I got to, I don't know, I, maybe I got to run recess or something. Um, so i come from a teaching family. Um, so I knew early on that that was kind of going to be my angle. I, I had pivoted a couple times, maybe in high school and college, but always kind of got drawn back to it. Um, love the game, probably played basketball because my brother played basketball, to be honest with you, um, was always kind of following him around. He was a senior and I was a freshman. So, it, you know, if he'd have been a hockey player, I'd probably would have been a hockey player. So I'm glad he picked basketball because it's a great sport. Uh, but I think then, um, you know, had a, had a pretty successful high school career, got to play collegiately. Um, and then I think at that point, um, you know, I liked math. I liked the, you know, right or wrong. There are very few things in life that are right or wrong. Um, and in math, you, you tend to know when you get it. I, I love my math homework because I knew it was done. I knew it was right. Um, and when you're writing, you never quite, I'm never quite satisfied. I'm not a great writer, but I'm never satisfied with it. Uh, you know, you always feel like, you know, I think I wrote a 130 page master's thesis um, it's sitting on my shelf and I'm, I probably could probably still go back and edit it. Um, cause I'm not probably a hundred percent happy with it, but it had to get turned in at some point. Mm -hmm. So I love that aspect of it. And I'm a relatively competitive person. That's probably an understatement. Um, so I wanted, it was either business or it was probably run my own business like my brother does or, or coach or do something where there would be where you could keep a score. Um, and as it's turned out, I've kind of ended up doing both. You know, I later in my career, my brother kind of got me going on some business things, and 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 that has probably one of my exit plans. But um, when did I decide that? It was probably sophomore or junior year in college. Hmm. Um, I I think I saw some of the strengths and weaknesses from my collegiate coach. Um, I had had great coaches, starting with my father. Um, growing up and knew what an impact they could have on a person's life and um, wasn't ready to hang the shoe. I was ready to stop playing, but wasn't ready to give up the game at that point. So I think that's when um, the leadership started. And I got to, I got to teach in a middle school student teaching in a middle school while I was playing my senior year in college. 
and got to coach. I want to say it was seventh grade. It was either seventh or eighth grade, like team help my, my, um, my practicum teacher kind of teach that and could saw first of all, that anybody teaches middle school that should get like, Oh my gosh, should get a rule. We should have a medal. They're heroes. They can do that. But saw how little in how, what an impact I could have on those kids in such a small period of time. Um, I think that was probably the point at which I pivoted and went, oh, this is something I think I could do. Um, and, uh, and I'm very happy for the most part, pretty happy that that was a choice I made 30 plus years ago. What would you say? How would you define a successful season? That's a great question. Uh, so <laughs> I think personally a successful season. So this has changed and I'll be, I'm going to be brutally honest. This has changed. Um, I think in my twenties and thirties, I would have considered a successful season you know, putting a ring on my hand or going to the state tournament or winning a conference championship. Um, but I think the saying is youth is wasted on the young. And I think at that point in my career, it was, it was about the end product rather than the process. And I think as I've gotten older and the world kind of slows a little bit and you kind of put things in perspective, I think well, I know, I don't think, I know a successful season has changed for me. I, you know, we didn't necessarily do everything we wanted to do last year with my son's senior year, but it was a successful season because it was a great group of kids. They got better as the season went along. Um, you know, that it's a, it's about that journey, uh, along the way. And, you know, last year we were lucky, lucky enough to win a national tournament in Florida for the world shutdown which which is kind of scary when we look back at it like you know we were in Orlando and at Disney World like in December and the world shut down two and a half months later and we're walking around an amusement park but um but they still talk about you know the, that trip and the things that happened in that trip and the experiences they had so I think you know like I said early in my career I would have said a successful season's a w winning one um but that is the and and, that, and I'm being brutally honest with that and I, there's probably young coaches listening to this that think the same way, but it's it's the impact that you make. It's when they come back uh, that I think when you get older is going to be what, what truly is a successful season. Now, the hard part is we're all trying to keep our jobs. And, right. Uh, been a trickle down effect from the pros to collegiate to high school, which I think is not great for high school athletics because it's still high school education based athletics. I think it's the purest game we teach. Um, and I think a lot of people are treating it like, you know, I would make more working at the convenience store, you know, a quarter of a mile from here than I do coaching. Mm. I don't do it for the money. And I think sometimes people forget that I do it to, to make the impact on those kids. Right. Especially when you're coaching, high school i mean college right. and i'm sure pro coaches they can make a lot of money right um, high school it's a stipend <laughs> at, at the best it's a stipend at the best and the, and the funny and the, and the funny part about it is um there's a lot of college coaches that don't that make make less than i do teaching like they're also doing it for the love those d3 guys do not make a lot of a lot of them don't make a lot of money so um they're also doing it for the love of the game just like we are at the high school level how would you say coaching has changed over the years? Would you say that kids are 
have changed over the years or are they saying that they've always been? Uh, I'll quote Bobby Knight. Uh, kids haven't changed. Parents have. Um, I think kids in 30 years have not changed. Uh, I think there's a, a bit more of entitlement than there was probably 30 years ago, or at least when I played. Um, cause all these parents are spending all this money to do all this basketball during the non season and then expecting things at the end. Um, and so I think that's probably, I, I mean, there's obviously been some logistical changes, you know, when I graduated from college, I think it was sophomore year in college is when the three point line came in. So, I mean, there's been some logistical things and, you know, in Wisconsin, we play halves rather than quarters. Some people play shot clock, some people don't, um, so there's been some shifts in that uh, kind of moving along, but uh, no, I don't, I don't, kids are kids. I mean, it, it, anybody that's ever taught for, for any length of time, I mean, that literally it's the one thing that I miss. Cause right now we were talking before we came on air that I'm hundred percent virtual teaching right now. If I was having to do virtual my entire career, I wouldn't do it. There's an energy with kids that hasn't changed at all. It's like it's like a life force. If you ever watch the movie Cocoon, literally no. when you walk in, <laughs> when you walk into a uh, a school, there's a there's a life force that's unbelievable. And I think the way that those kids act, obviously they have different things, and I they they didn't have cell phones and those kind of things 30, 40 years ago, but. Um, I, they haven't changed at all. Kids are kids are exactly the same thing. They want direction. They want leadership. They want those things to to learn how the world because they're trying to figure out their world. Um, I'm married to a psychologist, but th that's what they're trying to figure out where their place is, what where they fit, what their long term play is going to be, all those things. So, um, no, I would say kids haven't changed at all. How do you deal with parents who have troubles with their kids playing time or with your own decisions coaching? Uh, so this has gotten easier as I've gotten older. Um, because you've been there longer, you think? I've been there longer and I've been successful. So I don't tend to deal with the problems I used to deal with. Mm -hmm. However, um, it's hard. So there's a couple of things. First of all, it's hard to be rational with an irrational person. And most parents are not rational when it comes to their kids. I'm not rational when it comes to my kids. And it, coaching my son was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life because I wanted to be as unbiased as I could be. Um, luckily, I had great assistant coaches around me kind of telling me one way or another because sometimes I'd go the not play way and I should be playing him more and vice versa. Um, so it's hard. I think as a young coach, you have to think about it's hard because a lot of young coaches don't have kids and they don't realize that love and that like mama bear. I'd rather I'd rather eat you than let let something happen to my kids. Kind of that mama bear thing. Um, so you have to kind of have some empathy and try to put yourself in their shoes, which has made it a lot easier for me. Um Sometimes they just need to vent. Sometimes they just need to talk. Um, and I, I tend to have a cooling off period after a tough decision or if something happens after, you know, like, well, I'm more than willing to talk, but we, we everyone's got to cool down before we have a, a, a an adult conversation. But um, I think it's important to remember that they're not rational. No one's rational about their own kids. Um, and coaches are looking at all the kids, you know, and, and, uh, uh, another analogy that I've often used is 
especially when you're the the varsity coach at a high school, you're basically running a talented and gifted program for basketball players. It's no different than kids taking calculus class. It's a talented and gifted kids for they're really good at math or, you know, maybe teach an AP world, the social studies. So those are talented and they're, they're, they're very good at that specific thing. Well, I run a talented and gifted program for, um, basketball players and, and, um, and I'm going to play who I, I mean, again, parents are thinking their kid, I'm thinking all of them, I'm going to play the best kids because I want to win and I, I'm, we're trying to try to be successful, but I also want to make them all better. You know, obviously they're talented if they're on my team, um, but you can't play 15 kids in a basketball game. It's just not going to work. So um, I think, you know, just kind of circling back and talking about those things. And I think the communication part is really big. Um, cause a lot of times parents have not communicated with their teenagers, which I know how hard having a couple teenagers in the house that sometimes it is to communicate with them. So any kind of communication I'll have, I'll always have everyone, all the parties in the meeting. Um, cause that tends to help a lot. Uh, the parents hear the kid, the kid hears the coach, the coach hears the parent, everybody, um, kind of hears what's going on. So I think those things are important. What do you look for in a good assistant coach? Um, I, I've been very blessed. I've basically had two coaching staffs in my entire career. Wow. Um, I look for someone that's loyal. Um, I look for someone that wants to learn. I look for someone that has empathy. I look for specific tasks. So I didn't necessarily do this early in my career, but I basically have named them into three categories. I look for Yoda. Um, so anybody that's a Star Wars fan, I'm looking for someone that's all knowing um, that probably knows as much, if not more than me um, and can be, you know, Coach Morgan, if he's listening to this, he's older than me. Um, and sometimes that's good because sometimes, they, you know, 15, 20 year difference can make it a, a huge thing as far as perspective goes. So I think I think you have to have a Yoda. Um, I think you have to have a workhorse which is basically like a graduate assistant that will do all the um, stuff that you necessarily don't want to do. Um, and that will be your basically, you know, like, like, uh, you know, Nate's my workhorse. He basically is like my GA. He'll do everything. When we go on a trip, he'll have the itinerary. He'll deal with the bus, all the administrative things. Um, also an X and O guy and also loves a game and all that stuff. But, um, and then I think you got to have, you know, your, I haven't really come up with a great name for this, but basically your, your adversary and it's, and people think, well, why would you want an adversary? I don't want somebody that's necessarily not going to be loyal and those kind of things, but I want someone that's going to question what I'm going to do. Um, because I think what happens is you get into a pack and everyone starts thinking the same way, hmm. like about a specific kid, about a specific offense. And you, you, you start getting comfortable. It's like a family you kind of get that rhythm and there's no outside perspective. Um, so I'm always looking for that agitator, that questioner, um, that's still loyal and has empathy and all the other qualities that I want, but will like, why are you doing that? Like, why are we doing that? Like, and um, I think if you find those three things in an assistant, now sometimes you can only have one assistant. Well, then you got to find somebody that maybe you're the Yoda and the head coach, and they're the other two. Um, but I think for any good staff, those are the, those are the qualities you kind of need. 
Cause I, cause the head coach is the captain of the ship. Like I'm deciding who gets in the lifeboats and who doesn't. Um, but I think those four qualities, you know, the qualities of a head coach and then those other three qualities are what you should really be looking for in an assistant um, on top of, you know, obviously a good teacher and all those kind of things. Um, so I'm going to jump in here is so what's funny is that a lot of leaders, when they're looking for their staff, they may be looking for those first two. They may be looking for people that know more um, that will do the grunge work. But when it comes to the agitator, that's, that's almost a detractor for them. And you feel like they miss out on something when they do that. I do. I really do. I mean, cause I, th- I, I think there's, and, he, and, and it's the right kind of agitator. So um, my AD right now was my assistant coach for the longest stretch. And he was an agitator, but he was he knew how to agitate me properly. And he knew my personality and he knew how he could get his point across over time, um, which I think was really and, and, you know, my hats off to him. He kind of figured my system out. Um in my personality flaws. So I think that's a, I think that's, you know, advantageous for him, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't think people like that. Um, I think change only happens through chaos. Um, our world after this, you know, this is going to date this podcast at some point, but we're in a world pandemic right now. How people grocery shop is never going to be the same how people's shop is never going to be the same, how people travel is probably never going to be exactly the same because something happened, right? There was, there was a conflict, something got thrown into the equation that March 13th, no one was thinking was going to happen. Um, and I think it's the same thing with coaching. It's like, you got to do that. If, if, if we weren't doing that, I would, I mean, we wouldn't be as successful as we have been because we'd be doing what we did 15 years ago. Um, and in order to keep up with this game, you got to change because the game changes and the players change and the coaching changes. Um, the resources change the amount of resources out there now that are are crazy in comparison to 30 years ago. Uh, so I think that's, you got to be willing, you got to be willing to look in the mirror and, and question your own coaching. If you're going to, if you're going to make a difference. It seems like the schools that I've been in have leaned towards not hiring teachers as coaches. I don't know why it is, but it seems like the tendency where I'm at has tended to be, they find somebody in the community that played basketball when they were a kid and they just choose them and they don't necessarily have teacher preference. Do you think there should be a teacher preference when choosing coaches at the high school level? I do. Um, I think there's a couple issues. It's similar to the official issue. I think, I don't think a lot of people are going into the coaching profession, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, because it's a 365, 24 seven job. And like we were teasing before I came on, I'd probably make more at working at the convenience store than I do coaching. It's a stipend. Um, so it's for the amount of headaches, the amount of time away from my family, the way my family's had to sacrifice for me to be able to do this. Um, people just say it's not worth it. Um, so I think finding coaches is harder. Um, I think the teaching, we could do a whole podcast on the teaching profession and, um, 
how how the teaching profession, in my opinion, undervalued and is not more value. I, I thought maybe this pandemic would make it more valued, and I'm not sure it has. Um, so I don't think I don't think um, as many kids are going into teaching as they were 20 years ago. I I um, I used to ask. I still do, but I ask my classes. You know, who wants to become a teacher? And if when I asked that question 15 years ago, I'd see 10 hands go up in a mm-hmm. class, five hands. I see no hands go up right now. None. Right. Like, so the issue is we're going to have a shortage of teachers, which is a result of shortage of, of coaches. So I think that's part of it. I personally think that being a coach teacher is the best equation. Um because it goes into building relationships. It goes into building all the things that you need to be a great coach. X isn't, you know, it's, it's the pro the, the X's and O's aren't going to win you the game. It's going to be those relationships are going to win you the games in the long haul. And, and I can build those easier in my room at lunch or in the summer in the gym or walking in the hallways and teasing them. Um, than I can if I have, if I come in at four o'clock and teach them, coach them for a couple hours. So um, yes, I think it's a problem. I'm not sure there's a solution to it or I haven't really put that much thought into the solution, but um, yes, I think it's, it's definitely a pattern I have seen over the last 15, 20 years. So as I watch, you know, pretty much any game, it seems that more players are complaining more about referees seems that more coaches are complaining more about referees and I don't quite understand it. I know that it slows the games down. Um, and I, I know as even in football, I was watching football yesterday and this particular coach on this NFL team was just arguing every call and it was literally holding up the game five to 10 minutes and there was nothing that was going to change. And I didn't see anything that gave him the uh, license to do what he was doing. But do you think that referees play such an important role of wins and losses? That's a great question. So um, first of all, I think we're going to have a talking about shortages. I think we're going to have an official shortage. Um, I think the people that are playing right now, are having are finding out that officials are older and a lot of them aren't willing to maybe put their health at risk to officiate a basketball game. Mm. Um, yes, I think officials are, are, we can't have the game without officials. Um, unless I guess we get an, an, an AI robot to eventually do it or something. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I used to think officials, had a bigger influence on the game. And as I've gotten older, I think they have a smaller, they, some of them do, obviously. Um, I, I, all I ever look for is consistency. There's two things. First of all, community, you better communicate with me because I'm going to communicate with my kids. I am part of the game. I'm part of the process. So all I expect from an official is, you know, is talk to me just talk to me, say, tell me what you saw. And then we're done. Um, it's the ones that don't talk to me that think they're bigger than the game. Um, that, that that's where I'll have some conflict. But, um, as I've gotten older, I think it's gotten less and less. Um, I do think it's trickled down to the collegiate game after watching college basketball yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, from the NBA, it seems like a lot of complaining in the NBA. 
And that seems like it, there always seems to be a trickle down effect, which worries me. That it's going to trickle all the way down to middle to, you know, middle school, high school kind of thing. Um, so I think that's where going back to what we've been talking about with leadership. I think that's where it's got to start with the coach. If you're complaining with the officials all the time, your kids are going to do the same thing. How do you institute leadership into your students? I think it's like, it's like, it's like, anything you have to tell them what, what you expect from them and what a leader does. Um, and when they don't do it, you, you show them the proper way. There's nothing that irritates me more than, you know, you got to work harder and practice. Well, what does that mean? You know, then you have to explain to them and show them what you mean by working harder and practice. And it's the same thing with leadership. You have to show them the specific things that a leader does um, a good leader, at least, um, cause anyway, we, we've seen bad leaders. We know bad leaders. Um, we've worked with bad leaders. Um, most people probably listen to this have, have had at some point in their life had a bad leader in front of them. So they know what bad is, but do they necessarily know what good is? So you have to show them what a good leader will actually look like. And how would you define what is a leader? Okay. So I think I was quoted in, um, I was quoted in the paper recently talking about like our state, Wisconsin, some of the, some of the, um, some of the teams are playing and some of the teams are not playing. And um, I think the direct quote from me was leaders, not only worry about themselves, but worry about others. Um, and, and I, and I've, I, I've tried to teach that to my two kids that live in this house with me. Um, I think a great leader shows empathy. I think a great leader listens um, I think a great leader has concern. A great leader is willing to make decisions. Um, but in the, in the end, you know, a great leader is not only about themselves. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I love, I love history. I love reading about different things. And, um, you know, I, I, if I could pick a leader that I could talk about the people that would know that are listening to this, if you, I mean, and I'm, and I'm about halfway through uh, president Obama's book right now. Um, just a man who could listen, who could, who could have empathy, who could try to pull opposite sides of the world together and being in a category as a black male in the U S um, was able to do it that will be will i think 200 years from now be historical um i obviously being the first black president will obviously make it historical but i think um there will be there will be there will be statues of him at some point um maybe not in our lifetimes but in the future and 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 it goes back to what does a leader entail it, it entails all of those things um yeah what encouragement do you have as we wrap up the podcast for those leaders listening in this time? Um, I'll quote my grandma, actions speak louder than words. Hmm. Um, I think if you want to be a leader, um, you have to use your voice. And, um, and you have to use your voice for people that cannot be heard. Um, it's easy to sit in my comfortable house, um, my comfortable life, and not use my voice. Um, I have irritated 
numerous people over probably the last six weeks on Twitter and other places using my voice to talk about things that I think are important. Um, and it is what it is. Like, I think that's part of our lives that we have to do that. We have to, we have to speak for those that cannot be spoken for or are not being heard. And I think, um, that's what leaders do. And they don't worry about the end game. They worry about the current game.